0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's another Wednesday afternoon and yet another episode of Action Movie Anatomy. We're covering like the 114th movie or something crazy like that on the show. And it's a sequel, guys. We've been around long enough to see the sequel to The Kingsman Actually Actualized. We're covering The Kingsman, The Golden Circle. We'll see you guys in just one quick second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! Yes. Mmm. Haha. Mm. If sex could be music, this is sex that's music. That's what it is. What's up guys? Welcome to the show. We're back. Here we are. You think We're Colin movies. Firth could dance to this song? I think Colin Firth could do anything. I think he could too. <laughs> I, I love think he Colin could Firth. absolutely dance to this song. <laughs> Talk about a sweet career that guy's had. Yeah, I mean, like he wins Best Actor for King's Speech, and it's kind of like, wait, Colin Firth is still in movies when yeah. that happened? You know, it was like he was in Bridget Jones, and he'd kind of been like he'd popped into movies here and there, and then since then he's just. Savage. He's just one of those guys that's just been doing it. He's like he's he's had a twenty year run, like a really good twenty year run. Uh-huh. You know, he got his he got his lead actor Oscar in the middle there. Uh He's just good. He's just a good actor. Uh, yeah, and he also just want to like I want to hang out with that dude. Yeah, he's like the perfect guy for this role too. Like, yeah, yeah I, I can't think of many guys that I would feel as satisfied playing that role. Than him. He's like a very good actor. Yeah, there's very few. It was like a young Michael Caine. You yeah. know what I mean? Like a like like young is. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, there's very yeah. few. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. It's Action Movie Anatomy. We're here. It's Wednesday. We're chatting movies. We're chatting Kingsman Golden Circle. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for tuning in to the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies, pop culture by the bucketful. Uh, we're going to break the whole thing down for you guys. Who's, who's in the chat? who's representing uh, you know, got Army. about We got a bunch of Action Army members in here and they actually were helping me with one of the segments we're going to cover on the show today. Oh, very cool. Uh, we're actually going to replace that segment with a video, but you guys, it still <laughs> helps. It still helps. Trust me, you'll enjoy the video. Uh, but yeah, hey to everyone in the Action Army, everyone in the chat. I know my mom's in there somewhere Excellent. I think as well. So, uh <laughs> Super yeah. is a saint. So happy you guys are here and even though I know some of them haven't even seen the movie yet, that's how much they love us. It's, yeah, it's a brand new one. Um, I saw the movie about 90 minutes ago. Yeah. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're we De- deconstructing the thing right now. Uh, so, guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for paying attention. If you want to follow along in the conversation, obviously there's the live chat. Uh, if you can find the Facebook fan page, there's the Action Movie Anatomy Facebook fan page, which has, like, pretty soon going to have a thousand people in it. Yeah, yeah. Which is so cool. What a cool group. Uh, I love it. Between and the two of them, there's almost like fifteen hundred people now, which is yeah. just brilliant. I have to think that ninety percent of the people in the two groups are the same. I'm sure they are. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't they know. Are. I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's there's Action Army and the Action Movie Enemy fan page. If you guys want to follow along on Twitter, you can find the podcast at AMA Podcast. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media, and you guys can find me at Andrew Guy. And I am very active in all of those groups. Almost too active. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so at all. Uh, So, guys, let's break the whole thing down for you. We cover action movies here on the show. Those action movies adhere to four basic rules. Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. I think it's safe to say Eggsy definitely plays by his own rules. Absolutely. Um, Is he truly the hero, though? I mean, he he definitely wasn't fully the hero in the first movie. I think he took over the hero, the lead hero role in this movie. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I think yeah he plays by his own rules yeah sure. he definitely plays by his own rules and I think that um under rule two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room i I have to agree I mean, I definitely think Poppy is the smartest person she's she's pretty badass she's figured yep. out how to basically drug the entire world right uh, and um and she's gonna get well the presidents eh, that's a whole other thing um, Exy has a team of people that make him the smartest person in the room right right right. Uh, rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Um, I guess he's sort of military, sort of political. Like yeah, I mean, he works for the government. Yeah. Um, even though... They don't know that he works for Spoiler alert. They get blown up. (laughs) And rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Lots of explosions in this movie. Yeah, it would seem wrong if there was not an explosion in this movie. Yes, absolutely. So uh, those are the four basic rules of Action Movie Anatomy. We break some of them these days. We're not uh, super, super focused on them. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about components to making a successful sequel. We're going to talk about some of the most heroic, awesome deaths in the history of movies. We're going to talk fist pump moment. We're going to talk thesis statement, favorite line, all the good games you guys are used to, you know and love. Let's get straight into the trailer before we get into it thesis statement. And you were, uh, were kind of lukewarm on this, weren't you? On this movie? On the trailer. I uh, saw in you what someone once saw in me. It's just... Something that can't be taught. The makings of a Kingsman. We'll, we'll talk all about it. I think... Being a Kingsman is more than the clothing we wear. I thought the trailer <sighs> was a good trailer. It's just, it was more like what I thought this movie was gonna be. Right, the greater good. I hope you're ready for what comes next. Probably would have just died when I had to hold my breath for that long. I mean, spoiler alert, it's in the trailer. What? <laughs> they get blown up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, this song is very familiar. One of our good friends, yeah. Clint, yeah. made a video with us in here when we beat Late to the Party. Thanks, Clint. Great video. Yeah, Excellent One of my favorites. My friend, Whenever I feel bad about myself, I just I'll watch that. Which <laughs> just several times a day. Is, I, honestly, it's just always playing at home. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> sweet. This is sweet. I will say, every action scene was pretty badass. Yeah, definitely. I love that his belt buckle was the flash. That was excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I love Taron Edgerton Yeah, he's good I really do and like? I remember talking about it in the first episode which yeah. you guys, if you guys want we did cover um, the original Kingsman about a year ago I think more than a year. I yeah, think like a year the episode's and a half. done well. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it has like four or five hundred thousand hits. It's so crazy. Uh, I don't know why I'm going to tell everyone this, but I'm going to. It's you know we we talk about this a lot, where you know we'll do an episode and we'll get like a thousand or two over the first yeah. couple months or first couple weeks, and all of a sudden we won't pay attention for two months and we'll come back. Yeah, and it's got like a few hundred to several hundred thousand, and that's and that's one of them. Yeah, there's some of those old episodes that's bizarre. If you go back and look at them, they like. Some of the some of the ones that get hits really surprised I me. Mean, some make a lot of sense. I'm sure this one has seen a spike since this movie's come out. Yeah, for um, sure. But, uh, yeah, overall, pretty good trailer. The trailer is pretty accurate to what the movie actually is. My big complaint with that trailer was that I just felt like... And, and we're going to talk a lot about this when we talk about the components in sequel making. Yeah. But it, it just felt a lot like, what do you do when you're going to make a sequel and... Every, yeah, like it, what are the things you have to do? What are the things you try to avoid? Kind of, yeah. And sort of all of those things were vomited out on the screen to me all at once. There's all these stars. And so we'll talk about that, guys. But before we do, we're going to get into thesis statements. So thesis statements, it's your bold thought, your biggest idea about the film, something that the film really brings to mind, that if this comes up at a party, if you're talking about this movie with someone, this is your big idea you're going to hmm. stick to. Uh, and you kind of really believe it the whole time you're watching the movie. And so for mine, um, the Kingsman 2, Kingsman The Golden Circle, proves to me that the Kingsman franchise is able to do today what the James Bond franchise can no longer do. And what I mean by that is basically, by and large, James Bond movies aren't very good. Right. And if people, who, if people want to talk about Casino Royale, like it's, it's what Bond movies should be, it's totally the minority. It's not the way Bond movies are. Mm-hmm. It was a successful turn of taking a franchise that was overall pretty campy and making it very dark and serious, and it worked. And then three more movies, two of them didn't work, and one of them kind of worked. Most of the Bond movies before that, all the Brosnan movies, pretty bad, very campy. Yeah. Resemble much more what this movie does, but not nearly as deliberately. Much more tongue-in-cheek, whereas this is just very campy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think James Bond in earlier generations was able to execute in what it wanted to do, but I think as the franchise grew and there was so much history and there was this expectation, the other biggest problem, I think, is that 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 was a British character from a British mind with a British audience that American audiences were enjoying. And Mm -hmm. the further and further and further we got, the less and less sort of relatable to an American audience it was. It was like, oh, this is this English thing. I kind of get it. (laughs) Okay. Whereas this movie is like, this feels like that English style for an American audience. Yeah, it feels like an American writing English people. Yes. uh... And so for me, when I watch these movies, it's not that I... Like, I didn't think that Golden Circle was great. I very much enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I'm happy I saw it. I laughed. I enjoyed myself. But I also don't think most James Bond movies are great. So it doesn't need to be great to be successful. Yeah, and, and you know, we've talked about this on our show where it's also become this thing to the expectation is so high and so low at the same time for a James Bond movie now. Yeah. But you're still let down when they're not good and you're still blown away when they're great. Uh and it's interesting, it feels like James Bond and um Bourne have run their course. Right. It really does. Totally. And it's, it's kind of a shame because James Bond is one of my favorite things ever to watch growing up but I mean I'll be, I'll be honest when I heard Daniel Craig was coming back for one more I was excited Yeah, right. I am I, I love Daniel good. Craig as Bond and I really hope it's good if it's bad I won't be surprised and right. like if it is bad I think it should be the end um, it's tough because do you think the Kingsman can keep going I think they can make a few more movies I, I don't even necessarily mean that I think they can make 20 Kingsman movies I just think that like yeah. James Bond movies at this point by and large when they come out I don't expect them to be good and even the things that they do well are tired because they've done them too many times. In this, Bond. Yeah, yeah. And and this movie, this franchise is able to hire the, the best of the best top shelf talent, multiple Oscar winners, is able to push it to past the point that Bond is able to. This movie gets to be push a little bit into like really ridiculous, over the top, laughable comic book territory. Where yes. Bond it has to sort of maintain this integrity of being close enough to realism that it's not really able to do that. It's badass. Yeah, it, still feels super cool, you know. It whereas, tries to be, and and I think in a lot of ways, it doesn't work anymore. Like it's those movies they they don't they, they don't succeed. Like if they had made four Casino Royale's and they'd all been good, I'd feel differently. But they didn't. Yeah, they did it once, and then the rest of them all pretty much sucked. And if you look at the Pierce Brosnan ones, they're bad. They're yeah, like it's, the bad. It's movies. such a bummer because you you know you and I grew up with such a, a love and adoration for Goldeneye, yeah. and then we tried to watch it again. And it was. We you turned it off. We turned it off. It was I, horrid. I think we should do it on the show. Though. Oh, we definitely will do it yeah. on the show I think one day. GoldenEye... We should probably do a drunken watch along. Yeah, yeah. That'd be like I think we'd have a lot of fun. We, we could do loud. a lot of martinis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so I have a really interesting thesis today, and I and I kind of talked it through in the car with you when I, when I was driving over here, and it's tough. So I'm just going to start it. I'm just going to try to do this. You can help yeah. me through it. Um, I think that whatever you want to call it, the plot device, the character of Charlie's girlfriend and the events that happen at the Glastonbury music festival are the most detrimental thing to a spy movie that you can ever do. And I'll speak on that some more. It's not because he's put in a position to where he might have to sleep with his target, right? That's, that might be the mission. It might not. And you know, that's just the thing that happens. We've seen James Bond do it for 50, 60, 70 years, you know, whatever it is. And so, my problem is, is you get this guy. You get Eggsy, this the, the best, one of the best spies, super spies in the entire world who's given a mission. Right. And in this mission, he is told that he has to implant some sort of membrane on, uh, you know, inside of someone, essentially. Right. You know, a mucus membrane in their body. And it wasn't about the fact that he had to, like, finger this girl or that him and uh, Whiskey had to hit on her. But it's the fact that my super secret agent superhero is put in a position where he can't do something. He's put in a position where he's like, he can't figure out how to get this uh, tracking device on this woman without having to call his girlfriend and be like, hey, I'm sorry. I think I have to cheat on you because I can't figure out how to do this otherwise. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? Right. You're a secret super agent. You're the top of the world. You're the type of person where it's like, if you need to get a tracker on someone, yeah. what if it's a dude? Right. What do you so, do so you have to go have sex with a guy now and you have to call your girl like that. Why isn't that in the movie then? Yeah, right. You know, it's just it's just a weak plot point to add this part in the movie that has nothing to do with it. Like his girlfriend's gonna die anyway. Right. You know, because she smokes weed, but it's like she had to get to smoking weed because he cheated on her at the music festival because he couldn't figure out a way. I don't want my superhero to not know how to do things. Right. Well I I, I agree with you there and I think that that's it's a really interesting point you bring up, which is like if you're a secret agent, if you're a super spy, like yeah. the best of the best, and the fate of the world depends on you making this decision, one of two things is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to do this thing because it's the only way to do it because time is sensitive and you can't afford to make a mistake. And there's going to be a moment in the movie where your your handler, Merlin or someone, looks at you and he says, like, he gives you training. Or, like, that's the job. Yeah. Like, and this, it's a darker, more real moment because that's, like, if you were James Bond, that's what you effectively would have to do. Or you're going to say to yourself, based on principles, because, like Harry says later in the movie... Life is only worth living, you know, like, that's what makes life worth living, yeah. is having things to hold on to, then he's going to say to himself, I won't do that, but I'm going to figure out a different way to do it, because I'm a super spy. And because, yeah, exactly, he's a super spy that's able to do anything. He's done it, he's done everything by his own rules since the first movie, the first minute in the first film. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't like it, and it wasn't even about the the weird, like, sexual, innu- I mean, the sexual thing that was going on, because whatever, it's a music festival, things happen, and like, they're young, and that's what happens to secret agents, but like... It just took away from me. It just, I just felt like it made his character see, <clears throat> seem weak. Yeah, and I don't know if it was for comedy or for a plot point, but whatever it was, was just like, I just felt gross watching it. I think it was, co- I think it was comedy, and it was also to like illustrate his morals that like he's not just like only this guy in this job, right? Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Like, it doesn't, it didn't add up. It, it totally uh, like pushed us a little too far away from the idea that this is like. James Bond on crack. Mm-hmm. You still want these characters to be James Bond. You still want them to be superheroes. Yeah, and they and that's not that's not a reasonable situation to put your character in unless he can figure out his own way out of it. In the first movie, did it really show Eggsy driving at all? Uh, I can't remember. I don't think it really did. I don't remember. Chad, if you guys know, in the in the first film in Kingsman was Eggsy like a a precision stunt driver because in the beginning of this film it starts off with a crazy car chase and doing all that stuff, and you just believe it, right? Because that's what he should be able to do. Of course, you know. Um, Anyway, it's not that I didn't like the movie. I, I actually really enjoyed this movie more than I think most people did. That point was just gross to me. It wasn't because of what they did. It was because of what it made me think about my character. I think there was some driving in the first one, because I'm pretty sure you see him on a stunt track. Oh, yeah. You see him on a stunt track, and you see him steal the car in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't know if it makes him look like a good boyfriend or whatever it is. It it just... I yeah, I, I feel you. That's that's definitely yeah. It's definitely a sloppy plot point on their on their on their part to prove a point, and I think it compromises a really important part of the, the main character. I mean, one thing I was going to say is that, and maybe that's part of it, and I didn't realize it, but I like Ed, Eggsy. I mm-hmm. like Taron Uh He isn't the best character in the first or the second movie. He's not. He's not a strong enough lead as this as this hero. To like lead a James Bond franchise as the guy, he's he's just not like you need you need Colin Firth, you need Mark Strong, you need these other characters that feel like they belong and that are older, seasoned secret agents to me. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because he does have I think I think Taron Egerton does have the movie star charisma, but it's one of those things where you're just too young right yeah. now for me to completely buy buy in. I mean, he's one of those hot names. You heard that uh, he was in the top three. For Han Solo, for the Solo movie. Oh, really? And he dropped out because production of this movie got pushed up. Wow, um, that's a bummer. Who got cast? I know who... Uh, Alden uh, and, and, and Hill Rich or whatever right, his name right, is. Right,
1: right. Uh, that, he's that
0: kid from... He's um, the kid from uh, Hail Caesar from the Coen Brothers movie. Right. Wow, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, he's a, kind of a nobody. Yeah, and, and if, you know, Arena here in the chat is like, an agent shouldn't, shouldn't be a boyfriend anyway. Yeah. It's like, that's one of the best things about James Bond. And if you're going to make it a thing about an agent having a woman or having a wife or having some sort of significant other or being gay or whatever it is, it's like, use that to your advantage. Right. Use that and, you know, keep her hostage. Like the fact that he's dating the princess of wherever, Norway Norway or Denmark or Sweden or whatever, and like that Poppy can't figure that out, that he's at a royal dinner the night she tries to blow up his house. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah, totally. That's all. Anyway, I don't want to harp on it. Let's move on. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into the next part of the show, guys. This is Fist Pump Moment. It's that moment in the movie something happens. You look around you're like, are you seeing this right now? This is so good. God, they're doing such a good job with this. I'm so excited to watch the rest of this movie. And uh, for me, you know, a big, big shout out to Marina Verano and uh, it's more of, it's really more of, a, of, it's of an explosion of emotion. Total explosion of emotion. For me. But I, it's, I still sort of think of those two things as very similar things, and I, for me it's the, it's the one I want to reference. So uh, it's when uh, Merlin is, go- is on the mission with them, and they step on the landmine, and he kind of tricks them into moving off the mine, yeah. and then he's on the landmine. And you realize that he's going to have to bite the dust to save them. And it's so sad because he's just come out in his sharp suit and he's finally a field agent and he's like in the field with them with his awesome knife. Yeah, feeling good. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. And yeah, that moment where uh, you realize what he's done because as an audience member, you're kind of like, oh, sh- no! Now you know and, you, and it's done and then you know uh, Firth tries to take. He's like it's empty. Yeah, right. It's yeah, one it's, of those there's still one chip left moments where yeah. you're like oh no. Yep. Uh, and yeah, I love Mark Strong. I love I love Merlin as a character and it was such a great use of it. And then he starts singing and for me the singing is the fist bump moment. It's so good. Country roads because I also just, I also love that it's John Denver and it's yeah. an American song. He's a British guy. He, yep. Yep. There's so many things about it that Country I loved. Roads. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, that is, I, I teared up, I really did, because it, I, and we talked about this, uh, when, again, on the phone, uh, prepping for the show, and I was saying how it was so cliche, you probably yeah. knew it was gonna happen, it was all by the numbers, Right. but it was so well done, and acted, and shot, and it was just beautiful, and empowering, and yeah, man, I, I love that moment, um, Total fist bump, total explosion of emotion. Mine is on the other end of that, and it's at the very beginning of the film, but it's still Mark Strong, which I love. And it's when him and Eggsy are sitting down there, and they sit down in the in the bunker, you know, for the Doomsday Protocol, yeah. and it's just a bottle of whiskey, and I'm like, perfect. I know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> they're going to drink the whole damn thing, and then something's going to be shown on the inside, because that's like what you have to do, right? Yeah, right. And so, you know, we cheers to this person, cheers to this person, and they're hammered and yeah, talking, right. and then it's when he realizes that the Statesman or whatever's with the K because it's grew in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, and then the music kind of kicks in. Right. And then Mark Strong starts singing again. Yeah. And then it cuts to the Statesman distillery. Yeah. And like, just the fact that it's a distillery is, yeah, yeah I was just like, yes, I looked Statesman. over and I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm so ready to see everything about this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was definitely my fist pump moment. And also one of the, I mean, one of your favorite things about all the Pierce Brosnan Bonds is when he goes to talk to Q, right? And so when you when you're going to go to a whole new statesman, you're like, or a whole new like secret spy warehouse right, or right, bunker, right. you're like, man, how are they going to do everything? Yeah, right. And it, it's super badass, and I love when they hit the hit the barrel and the whiskey just starts pouring yeah. out. Of it. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah, so good. Uh, all right, so uh, that is fist pump moment. What it what it brings to mind with the death of Merlin are Great Heroic Deaths in Movie History, which Drew and I started talking about on the way here, and we had written down a handful of them, and then I found this wonderful Geek Tyrant video online. It's, like, real short, and there's no words, but I promise you, if you guys have watched this show, you will know the vast majority of these movies. Yeah, you will know almost every single one of these. And they're just great. Uh, Obviously, this is my single favorite heroic death of all time, because it's one of my... One One of the saddest. My favorite moment in the whole trilogy. Um... Warrior, you fought bravely. <laughs> Let's take the little one. Look at this. You got you got Hanks. That's a good one. Also so done on the show. Yeah, we haven't done this yet, though. I think this is probably on our radar. I'm guessing this is 300. Yeah, that was a little one. lot people mentioned out the Action Army and the Creepers in the Action Army. They've started a new chat group. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's very good. And they they actually threw out a lot of these uh, Great ones. Air Force One. William H. No, it was the plane. Oh the plane, gotcha. Oh yeah. there's still one ship left. Yep, yep. It's Ray finds, what is that? Enemy at the gates? Yes, Enemy at the gates Sacrifices yeah. himself at the end to give away Ed Harris's position. Uh, that's Inglorious Bastards. Bees! No, I'm joking. That's not what that is. Eastwood, Gran, Gran Torino, yep. What's this? I don't know. A lion? The lion movie. Move oh, yes. Oh yeah. Vader. Yep, of course. Iron Giant Iron Giant, yep What about Bing Bong? Bing Bong was one people mentioned from Up or I mean not from Up from Inside Out Okay, yeah, no It's a really sad one Killian Murphy that's you, I think that's United 93 Yeah Titanic Jack. Yep Some great heroic sacrifices What is that? Bridge on the River Kwai? Yeah, I think so like, Yeah Oh yeah Randy Independence Quaid, man, Of course That's a great one Great one. Uh, Tim Robbins. Is that that Mission to Mars? Must be. I haven't seen it. Sin City, right? Sin City, yep. Watchmen. Yep. Can't even see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't don't recognize that one. Ripley. Ripley. Alien 3. Kid. Some sweet ones, right? Yeah. These are some of the greatest of all time. It's not the notebook. Oh, it's not the notebook? No. Thin Red Line. Oh, um, that's x Grey, yeah. Three or two? Two, I think? Fifth Element? Right? Or was that, was that Run Lola Run? It was Run Lola Run, yeah. What the hell was that? Stacy oh, with I'm the dead sure. body? Guys, what was Be- that? Stacy with the dead naked body in the background. Yep, I heard about the Trek one. Wait, I know that. Oh, Katsumoto! Katsumoto! Academy Award nominee. Love that movie. Oh, uh, what's his name? I know Scott this. Jack Yeah. Oh, uh, Avengers, yeah. maybe? Hulk? Bruce. Bruce Lee. Oh, then this is this is sweet. They, they end it with. Which is not one that I know, but... Uh, oh, the Spock one. Yep. Yeah. Don't breathe. Way. the needs of the few or the one I've never seen that or, or was that when we destroyed Team Trek in the Schmodown is that what that was <laughs> I'm not or maybe I have seen that which one is that from I wonder uh, three maybe the second one is Wrath of Khan and then three is the search for Spock and four is the journey home so maybe that's in two I I could not tell you, man. I really couldn't. The only ones that weren't in that that I really wanted to mention were Bing Bong from Inside Out. Sure. Obi-Wan. Yeah, it's a huge one. Uh, Gandalf right. from the Fellowship. And then Creasy from Man on Fire. Oh, yeah. yeah we bear, love the Creasy one. Yeah. Uh, Gandalf and Obi-Wan make sense because they showed two other from those movies. Right. Barmere and uh, yeah, Vader. Yeah. But yeah, pretty sweet stuff. Pretty good stuff. It's Someone's. one of the it's one of the greatest things in movies when someone sacrifices himself for the greater good. Of course. And you, you just feel so empowered by it. And you also yeah. feel, it's like heartbreaking and totally. strong. Strong in this movie is one of the greatest ones I've seen in a while. And it was also, I was shocked I was brought to tears in this movie. Yeah, it was multiple times for me, actually. I, I actually thought that the reveal when when finally uh, Colin Firth remembers who he is was super satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was good. They made us wait for over an hour for it. I also liked how whiskey had happened to him before, so they just had the quick trigger. It's like I'm sorry to do this. Here's yeah. the thing, and it's like, and I actually liked his little monologue he had. Um, anyway, let's get into let's get into star profiles here, and let's talk a little bit about Firth and Edgerton. And we had a great question, uh, AMA question, about about the star power in this movie. So, really quickly to breeze through this, Colin's <coughs> first Firth's three most recent films were Kingsman: The Secret Service in 2014, Genius in 2016, and Bridget Jones's Baby in 2016, and This makes so much sense for his career, but it bothers me, you know what I mean? That he's had, like, a slowdown, you mean? Well, it's just, like, that's what he does. Like, he'll win an Oscar, and then he'll not be in anything relevant, you know? Or, like, he'll win it, and then he'll do The Kingsman, and then he'll fall off. It's, like, that's just kind of the guy that Colin Firth is. Um, So, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But I just kind of want to see more of him, I think. Well, he's got, I mean, so he was in, like, the British stuff, you know, in the early 2000s, right? So Bridget Jones diary, and he has, like, a Love Actually role, and... What is is it, is uh which is the other one that he's in? Is it about a boy? Is that the one that's got him in it? Firth? Yeah. Uh no, Notting that's Hill? Hugh Grant. Uh Notting Hill is also Hugh Grant. Um, there is another one that I I know you're trying to think of. He's in Love Actually. That's what Did I you said, say that. Yeah, oh, okay. I said that. I feel like it's he's not in about a boy. No, I don't think so. You said Love Actually, Bridget Jones, and there's got to be another. one. I'll look it up. He, he's not a guy whose early career I know super well, mm-hmm. but I do remember. What was that? What did you say? Pride and Prejudice, that's right. Sure, okay. Yeah. Oh, Also, uh, Marissa Serafini in the booth, and Marissa, people uh, have been saying in the chat that when you talk, they can't really hear you, and they would love to hear you, so if that's anything that you can fix on your audio output, that would be excellent. We can get you louder? No? Hello? Hello? Um, Um, Yeah, yeah. so he was like one of those weird kind of like rom-com British guys. Yeah, he was like the charming British guy. I mean, I think best known probably early for Bridget Jones, and then... As he got a little older, he popped back up. So the movie that takes place right before he wins his Oscar is a movie called Single Man. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, uh, No, but I remember I was working at Blockbuster when that... It's Tom Ford's directorial debut. It also has Nicholas Holt. Uh, it's like this really beautiful movie about like a professor who's gay and he kind of like he sort of has like a little bit of a romance with like one of glasses his and, like a beige suit on the yeah. cover yeah it's like <laughs> totally like a Tom Ford made a commercial for like really like beautiful fashion yeah yeah um, and it's a great movie it's really good and he's really good in it he was nominated for best actor in 2009 for it mm. which he lost to Jeff Bridges for Oh, crazy, that's interesting. Yeah. And then the next year, Jeff Bridges he, lost to him for, for King Grit, Speech, and he was in King's Speech. Yeah. Um, so he had a really good couple years there. Um, really, his his whole run, but like late two thousands was really good. And then this is two thousand fourteen, the first one, and then he's just sort of. I think he's like in his mid to late fifties, so he kind of gets. I, I get the feeling with him, he's the kind of guy right now that probably kind of choosy about the roles he's going to take. Doesn't seem like he needs to really take. Yeah. Much. I want to see him as a really evil dude yeah, in a like movie. A villain? Yeah, I think me too. I think he would be really great. Uh, and then on the other side of it, we have Edgerton, um, <clears throat> who was in Legend in 2015 alongside Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy. Uh, Eddie the Eagle, 2016. Which you saw you liked, right? I love Eddie the Eagle. It's one of my favorite movies. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's just fun. It just just feels good watching it, man. Just yeah. a feel-good film. Uh, and then Sing in 2016, which I also heard is incredible really i heard it's very good i heard it's like a really good animated movie but i i don't know if that's true or not they're all good apparently yeah it's like the easiest thing in the world to make a good animated movie it feels like yeah yeah and then there's also uh the last dinosaur (laughs) the good dinosaur (laughs) the good dinosaur yeah the last whatever uh okay only flop ever so i want to get into this real quick we had someone talk uh on the facebook page talking about their ama question and uh his name if i can find it here real quick Uh, We actually had a lot of really great questions. We're going to have to ignore most of them because Aaron C. Jetson here had a list of questions, and there's a bunch of great ones. Um, Did you feel the film was a decent sequel? Why or why not? We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about what we think you really need in sequels. Uh, Did you like how they brought back Harry, or did you feel it was too forced or unnecessary? We both stated we liked it. Uh, I liked Harry. It was a little forced, but it was still good. And then this is the point we want to get to right now. The cast was obviously filled with star power. However, did you feel it suffered or enhanced or improved? The overall film. So let's talk a little bit about, to answer that last one, um, let's talk a little bit about components to making a sequel. So, to answer the question of was this movie's star power necessary, I think you have to look at how do you make a sequel, especially a sequel to a film that when it was made, there wasn't like a clear sense this was going to be a trilogy. Or there would be a sequel. This movie, it was the first one was successful enough that we got the sequel made. And you can point to, like, John Wick, you can point to some other films taken mm-hmm. that are kind of similar, where they were surprise hits, and then they pump out the sequel. Yeah. And I think if you make the list of what's required, the first one is you have to take what was successful about the first movie and you have to double down. Yes. So, in the, in the case of Wick, you know, he gets more invincible, the action gets bigger, gets crazier. The more brutal. Fights. Yeah, in the case of this movie, there's there's more action. The car chases are crazier. The gadgets are are more wild. The, the the villain is turned up to comic book 10, you know, even more so than Valentine was. Even, like, even like Eggsy has a bright orange jacket. Like, everything is just louder. Poppy and land. Bigger. Is like, one of the biggest villain lairs you've seen in a movie since, like, someone said the Roger Moore era of Bond, yeah, you be- know? Because they spend, because the idea is this movie, the first one was a modest investment for a great return. Let's double down the investment to double the return, right? So we'll spend twice as much money. Um, When we get to cash, we'll talk about that a little bit. I think the second thing that you have to do is you have to up the stakes. So you take what worked and you double down, and then you have to up the stakes. And that's where I think your comment about star power gets brought in for me. Because making this movie, they say, okay, what are we going to do with this budget? Wouldn't it be cool if we could just hire, I don't know, Channing Tatum, Jeff Bridges, Halle Berry, Julianne Moore. Moore. Yeah. Let's bring back everybody from the first one that was Which good. three of those people have won Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you bring them all in, and we'll find a place for each one of them. And for me, a big reason the trailer was a turnoff for me was that. Those were the things that when I saw the trailer didn't make any sense to me. You know and I know, as well as anyone, when you're talking about a movie that isn't like a two-hour, 40-minute epic in the middle of a trilogy, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to put actors of that caliber into a movie without feeling like you're shoehorning them in just to have a name on the poster. And Yeah, someone had mentioned how they felt they they were kind of bothered by the fact that uh, Julianne Moore was top billed. On, and, like, the previews and stuff. Yeah. It, but it makes sense. It's like she is the most relevant, highest star. I mean, like, Bridges is relevant. Channing Tatum is relevant. Julianne Moore is very relevant, and she's won an Oscar. You know what yeah. I mean? She's more relevant than Bridges, and she's an Academy Award winner and everyone knows when Julianne Moore's in a movie she's gonna do a good job right uh, Channing Tatum is just fun yeah you know and then Bridges is like I think we all we all didn't really expect much out of Bridges in this movie yeah I mean at this, this point when he's in movies unless you give him the whole movie just like wax poetically like he does in Hell or High Water I literally dusty. thought he was gonna die at the end of Hell or High Water in real life yeah he was <laughs> like so sweaty and old looking like and his I, his voice is like really deteriorated to the point now where well, we he talks he kind of sounds like this yeah instead of like Robert Frederick where Oh, yeah, so I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Get into Finney territory uh, Though still so much love for Jeff Grimm's. Oh yeah we love Jeff um, So, But yeah so I, I feel like you, you double down on what worked You take all of the Sort of space that you have and you increase it You just inject all of that money mm-hmm. And then you take a bunch of scenarios that were good In the first one and you try to weave back All of your important jokes from the first movie and bring back as much stuff as you possibly can to the second movie. Totally, you want you you want your audience to feel like they're in on the inside joke because they saw the first movie. So I think to make a to make a sequel, the components of a sequel, it's like you take everything that worked, you double down, you try to inject as much money as you can, and then you try to duplicate as much of the first movie's success as you can. So that when someone's watching it, they can get that feeling of like, oh yeah, like I liked the first movie, I like the second movie. What ends up happening though is if you take the approach we just said, if that's how you approach a sequel. You just end up feeling, during the movie, like... As good as this is, it's not as good as the first one. Of course, and like you have to let that go eventually because it's never going to be as good as the first one. I mean, we had this conversation when we covered what what movie was it? Uh, Uh, Was it Planet of the Apes? Was it what the second Planet of the Apes movie? Maybe, or maybe it was the first. Could have been the lovely Jack Reacher Never Go Back. Could have been. So recently, I wish (laughs) I could remember which episode it was. But we talked about sequels that surpass, you know, the movie that started the franchise. And like, there's very few cases, and even then, it's arguable. Is Empire really better than? New Hope? Is Godfather 2 really better than Godfather 1? And is Dark Knight better than Batman Begins? And like, I'm one of the people that doesn't think so. Yeah, right. And so in this movie, we all knew it wasn't going to be as good yeah, as the first one. Of I course. Think, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be as good as the first one, but it did do all the things that we like, but at the same time, how do you build on that? How do you go anywhere beyond that? Because it's, you know, when they do the whole thing of uh, manners maketh man, Yeah, and you know, they they did a good job because Firth throws the thing and misses. Right. Like, okay, yeah, they thank trick Thank God. Totally. But then, you know, and we've heard people say this a lot, then they have one of the most uh, irrelevant and excessive action scenes ever in the movie because they just feel like that fight scene with Whiskey is so not... It's just like, why are we doing this again yeah, here? Yeah, right, right. Whereas, like, outside of the cabin, when you see Whiskey go off with the revolvers, you're like, that's awesome. Yeah, totally. You know, so... I don't know man it's it's really tough and and Vaughn's a very smart director he does, he makes good movies it's the whole sequel thing is it's it's, it's an anomaly well it's like unavoidable cuz like the only way to dodge it is either to be part of a trilogy where you feel like there's a reason you're watching a continuation of the first movie like it's a through line to an outcome yeah. or it's it's that they've completely reinvented it and changed the movie and the tone and everything drastically to make the sequel which is like the best sequels do that yeah. And it's it's so difficult to just make the same movie twice and actually have the second one stand up to the first one. It pretty much doesn't happen. Uh, and so I, I yeah, I, I just I walked out of this movie being like, that was so that was so fun. Like Yeah, it was so fun. I like was really happy about it. Like overall, I laughed, the Elton John stuff was great. Like mm-hmm. I loved so many of the performances. I thought all of the stars they added, like, added something. They were all great. For sure. But no one I took also away from it. Walked out of it just being like I don't have any desire to watch that again and if it's on TV I probably won't really be able to tell right away which movie it's from especially (laughs) because there'll be a third one in a couple years and I'll just it's the same thing with Guardians it's the same thing with all these movies you just like unless you see an actor who's clearly not in the first movie you'll just forget yeah you're like which yeah they kind of they kind of blend and yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, the whole sequel conversation is really tough. People have been trying to do it forever since movies started, and um, I think that this one succeeds as a sequel. Definitely. I think, it, I think it is a good sequel. I'd give it a green light. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit of production development really quickly here, guys. Matthew Vaughn, Jane Goldman wrote this film. Uh, Matthew Vaughn writes and directs all of his films. So, you know, he adapted Kick-Ass into a film. He did Stardust, X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, um, lots and lots of stuff. Where, uh, you have... Jane Goldman, who is his co- frequent collaborator, uh, and they are not married because Matthew Vaughn is married to Claudia Schiffer. Yes, he um, is Claudia Schiffer. Liam is, Neeson in, uh, yeah. in uh, Love Actually. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Um, and But yeah, they write almost everything together. She's co-written all these movies with him, and then she also did um, Miss Peregrine School for Peculiar Children, uh, and the two of them worked on a film called The Debt from 2010, which by oh, the way... Yeah, yeah, I know that movie. Yeah, I've never seen it. It has a sweet cast, and yeah. it, it keeps coming up in conversation. Like, I keep seeing somebody wrote it or someone directed it that I know that I like, and it has like, like Wilkinson's in it, and like Helen Mirren. I like need oh, to watch that movie. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. Have you seen it? I know. Is it about? Is it about Nazis at all? Or no? No, I think it's like something to do with. I don't really know. It's I've like, seen the box cover. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. It's one of these movies that it's out there that I just like. I keep finding out about movies like this where I feel like if it's if it's a more, it's like a newer movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to be very aware of it. Right, and and then I find out about a movie that has like six people in it that I like that I've never heard. Of. Have you ever heard of a movie called Margin Call? No. It was like when you were, we were talking about In the Valley of the Law. Yeah. You know, things like that. These movies happen, yeah. Um, yeah, and then Jane Goldman has also written a lot of books. Uh, Matthew Vaughn. What do you think about Vaughn, man? I think Matthew Vaughn's pretty impressive. I think he's got a a great... Uh I think he's had a great career. You know, he he directed Lair Cake in two thousand four. I think yep. most of us you people know, kind of remember that's, that. It's a big cult classic. Yeah, he, he feels a little bit like Guy Ritchie because he produced for Guy Ritchie uh, in mm-hmm. the early days a lot, uh, and then he really, you know, his his career really took on a life of its own um, with you know all the stuff from X Men First Class to Kick Ass and the first Kingsman. He's got that same sort of Zack Snyder visual flair where he really likes to, to create those slow-mo, cinematic, very colorful, like straight off the pages of a comic book type of thing. Yeah, and I was going to say that I did enjoy that they used cool camera tricks in this movie without using the same one that they did in the first one. Yeah. You know? Um, I definitely think it's gimmicky. I don't Come feel... On. Like, I find movies like this to be a little exhausting overall. Um, That's interesting. They, they're, they're cool and everything like that, but movies like this to me are sort of the issue with the with the evolution of superhero filmmaking which is like thinking about this movie after the fact it's a little bit like i just watched something that was about nothing yeah do you know what i mean absolutely i do because this movie is truly about nothing and when you were talking earlier about sequels and having a through line that carries through uh like a trilogy yeah star wars lord of the rings dark knight even though dark knight can be standalone um this movie could never do that. I would never come back to 3 because 2 didn't finish the story. Right. Yeah, like if you think about like the great trilogies we're talking about, they're like true stories of good and evil in the most basic sense. I mean, Lord of the Rings is like basically those books were written at a time which was like the Allies versus the Nazis. Right. Like that's what those books are about, you know? Like, like Nazi Germany is Sauron. That's what the story is. And so when you watch them, it's not surprising that they feel incredibly, like the stakes are incredibly relevant. The world is going to live or the world is going to fall. Right. And they have to fight for it. And you believe these good characters versus these evil characters. As much as I enjoyed this movie, and I really did, and as much as I enjoy, like, the Avengers movies, they're sort of, like, superhero films in just, as a, as a general thing. Totally. Are just about nothing, and it makes it difficult to think about them in retrospect and feel like I've, I've gained something, and like it made me feel something. Like, this movie didn't make me feel anything other than Merlin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It didn't make it was just kind of fun and other than Merlin, yeah. Super fun. I mean, I laughed my ass off. Yeah. I thought it looked great. John, Elton John was hilarious. There's a lot of really fun, cool stuff in it. Um so talking about the producers here real quick uh, these guys were also they worked with Guy Ritchie on Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch um, and they have been, they're working on writing something right now and this, this is information we pulled from our old outline I wonder if that's got a title now Uh, because they're each working on their own individual features. That's David Reed and Adam Bowling who produced alongside Matthew Vaughn. Um, They were with him on Layer Cake, and they have also with him on Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, and Kingsman. Kingsman, Golden Circle, obviously. They just kind of are, I I don't want to say up-and-comers, because they've been around for a while, but they're they're really kind of at that place where they can kind of take off, Yeah, I feel like. And the fact that they each have their own features in production as producers and not writers... uh, on this film is, it's pretty cool. One thing I think is really funny is like you and I talk about producers and writers like as though they're, you know, relevant or not relevant where it's like, we know like a few people, like we like I know a handful of people who write and direct and are successful and like, even if they've done one successful movie ever, and like, th- and even that movie is not known by most people. Like, when you meet one of those people in real life who's achieved even that level of success, like they right. are so successful. It's just yeah. only when you look from an outside looking in, like reading about their name on a piece of paper, that you can start to be like, well, this guy's got seven hits, and he's got five, yeah, yeah. And he's got only two. So the guy with two is not really very successful. You're like, like, yeah, but I produced the Usual Suspects. Yeah, you're like, okay, well that's yeah. the one. Well, you uh, know, people love that movie, so, yeah, so I'll shut up now. <laughs> Uh, all right, so getting into critical and box office, this is uh, this is this is some good stuff. So this is produced by Fox, costs one hundred and four million dollars to make. It was released a week ago on the twenty second. It grossed thirty nine million dollars this weekend domestically and an additional fifty eight worldwide for a grand total of ninety seven million dollars on its opening week and its opening weekend. It made thirty nine million dollars and it was still number one. Um, I what else came out this last weekend? This last week that would have not made it number one. Mother. I guess mother, but it's too scary. Yeah, I don't think uh, is gonna really. Compete, I really like, want to watch. Unless there was like an animated movie that. Uh, yeah. We're forgetting. I don't think so. That makes sense though. Um, what doesn't quite make sense to me though is the reviews and in the ratings on the other side. So um, what is this right here? Fox originally planned to have a world premiere of the movie in New York on the twelfth. All oh, right, but cancel it because of Hurricane Harvey relief and the telethon. Um, it was they donated money budgeted for Kingsman. For a ball or something was that like a sword? Uh, they, they had a they had a full uh, premiere and, and party and everything all scheduled and they canceled it because and they took all the money from it and they donated it towards a charity that's so cool for the for the hurricane um, one thing I just wanted to make reference to is that uh, Kingsman one cost ninety four million they spent ten million more on this film and I'm sure like a hundred million more on marketing because this movie was marketed like crazy whereas I don't think the first one really was that is crazy that it only cost ten million dollars more when you think of the star power yeah. Yeah, I think... I'm sure they got away with... Yeah, I don't know how that's possible, actually. Yeah, it means they must have had to pull away from... I mean, because they had more elaborate sets than the first one. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, this is more crazy to me. IMDb gives this movie a 7.3, which seems about right. Yes. seems okay. All critics on Rotten Tomatoes give it a 49. Yeah. Top critics give it a 28, and the yep. audience gives it a 74. I... I just don't understand this, because, you know, I think, I think it might have been Richard Eric Jarvie who asked this, but someone asked, like, does the success of the first movie help or hurt this film? Right. And, and it, it clearly helped it with its money, but it hurt it critically. Yeah. Because it's like, when the first Kingsman came out, it blew our minds. It was amazing. It was one of the best spy movies you'd seen in a long time. This movie was still very good. It's yeah, not movie. a twenty-eight. Twenty eight is obs- that's worse than Demolition Man. Yeah, but also you know you I mean you, you know how this stuff works. It's just an aggregate. So it's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of top critics that felt like this movie wasn't a fresh movie, that it was redundant you know, it was redundant and derivative and they wanted to give it a bad review, and that's why it gets such a bad rating. Um, yeah, it's just crazy that twenty eight people out of a hundred were the only ones that liked this movie. Yeah. That. It's just it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know. So it's kinda of mind blowing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was a little harsh on it a second ago by saying it was about nothing. But I just think that sort of in general, the the more movies you watch, the older you get, the more you start to remember movies you saw when you were younger, mm-hmm. um, the more you begin to realize like the ones that made an impact that you'll remember forever versus the ones that were just sort of like a moment in time. And there's certainly nothing wrong with the ones that were a moment in time, yeah. but I think it's about how many movies get released a year that are kind of targeting the same they want the same thing from you. And I guess with this movie it's funny cuz it's not a Marvel or a DC movie, but I watching this in theaters was just like I don't want to watch 20 like like 18 to 20 of these every year. I don't no. want to watch like I don't want to watch the three Marvel releases and the three DC releases and the two independent releases and the two animated movies that are just kind of making me dumber that weren't actually good. Like there's so many movies that come out every year that are just like we're going to spend $100 million, and we're, you're going to see this, and you probably won't remember it, but right. we'll make our investment back. Yeah, we'll and make it's our money. It's, it's just soulless film. And, yeah. like, as much as I enjoy this film, it, it is pretty soulless. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much to it at all. Favorite yeah. um, Favorite line? Oh definitely it's when uh, it's it's when Channing Tatum is like thank god my ancestors went into the liquor business. Oh yes. <laughs> it's great because it and I love how like how American that makes it feel and yeah. how like Taylor's it feels so king'sman it's really funny. It's he, perfect. Yeah and he's like like Tatum was like fantastically cast for this because like he doesn't really do anything in the movie. He's like he has his one fight scene that's cool. But more than anything, you know that guy's just, like, this funny, like, broed-out dude. Yeah. And, like, it's just hilarious that he's the guy that takes recreational drugs. They're like, he's the... He's our uh, <laughs> he's our wild card. Tequila, yeah. He's a bit of a party animal. Yeah. It's just funny that his name's Tequila, too. <laughs> it's not whiskey or, like, bourbon or, like... <laughs> yeah. I also love that his name was Champagne. Yeah. It's yeah. great. You can call me Champ. Uh, I think my favorite line is, is um, an allusion to the first one when, you know, he's about to get the princess out. And she's like... If you come back, you can da da da. You know, yeah, Elton yeah. John says, uh, "If you save the world, you can have a backstage pass." I <laughs> loved it. It was so funny. Elton John was so hilarious in this film. Um, he, it, it's it's just crazy that he was so absurdly over the top <laughs> yeah. and he felt right. Yeah, like when he does just like three sixty spinning jump hook <laughs> yeah. kick. You're like, awesome. Yeah, it was I am great. All in the other one though that I have was a little more serious. Is when Mark Strong and Halle Berry are sitting there. Yeah. She talks about going out in the field, and and he has a moment talking about how important their job is. And at the time, you don't really feel it, but yeah. looking back on it, when later on you see him in the suit, and he finally goes out in the field for the very first time, yeah. and he never wanted to. That's right. not what he wants to do. Yep. And it, yeah, so that line had a lot of weight to me later on. Definitely, definitely. Um, so those are going to be favorite lines, guys. As always, you know, leave them in the comments, tweet mm-hmm. in, um, and, and just, it's a. Like, quick thing we don't really say very often but like if you if you stay in the chat here it is a lot of fun but liking and commenting and subscribing is definitely what helps the videos stay yeah, high in the YouTube algorithm because yeah. see YouTube changed their algorithm uh, about a year ago which is now that old videos that get a lot of views don't they don't get pushed up in the SEO anymore So if you search for something, if you search for Kingsman, and people have not liked and they have not commented, you got further and further and further down the list and people don't find the video. And so it's helpful, obviously, to have you guys on Facebook and in the chat, but just go and like, give a thumbs up, and just leave a comment on the actual video, because the more of those we have, the better the videos do. uh, We would very much appreciate that. Did you realize that the dogs' names were Benny and Jet? Yeah, it's fine. That's great. Uh, So AMA question, this is the last one that I wanted to cover from earlier, uh, I did not mention, it's from the same person, and it's, who is the better villain, Valentine or Poppy? Uh, She's pretty great. She was was creepy and funny and weird and like the burger stuff. It was just like it felt like correctly over the top. Yeah. Um, She like reminded me a lot of like uh, Christina Applegate and Anchorman when he comes home and she's like she's like I've been home cooking naked for you all day. (laughs) Let's make whoopee and then he's kissing her. She's like I love my life. It's like a fantasy that he's having. (laughs) Like that's a lot that she reminded me of. That is the perfect (laughs) metaphor for this. Yeah, I I completely agree. I. I I really love Valentine, and he was great, and I love that he executes Firth, and he, like, covers up, you know, he's like, oh, God, you know, she's like, yeah, that's what happens when you shoot someone in the head. Yeah. Um, But Poppy scared the shit out of me. Yeah. She really did, and, like, from the very beginning, it was so over the top and, like, you know, the the robot dogs and the friend that betrayed him and then, you know, putting him (laughs) in the meat grinder and then eating him, but, like, I loved it. I was totally in. Can we take thirty seconds to talk about how fucking sweet Bruce Greenwood was? Oh, Bruce Greenwood was <laughs> amazing as the president. He was, he was so good, so amazing, and like that was clearly a, a throw to American. Uh, well, they cut a bunch of. You heard they cut Trump jokes. Yeah, yeah. They cut a bunch of Trump stuff out of the script because he was. It was getting closer and closer to the election by the time this movie started going into production, and he did. He was like, "I don't want people, half the people, to go into this movie to cheer and have to feel let down by it." Right. And he's like, "It shouldn't be divisive. It should be an escape." Um... Have you changed your tune on Bruce Greenwood yet? <laughs> I love Bruce Greenwood. Holy shit, man, we are one hundred percent wrong. What? Or not in the wrong, but in the minority. Everyone in the chat, yeah. I'd say literally everyone thinks that they like Valentine way more. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, I love Poppy. I thought she was yeah, excellent. I, mean, I did too. I loved Valentine. He was hilarious. Yes, he was he was but, great. The list but, was awesome. Yeah, the list was awesome. Sophia Battella was amazing. She but, was a great villain, yeah. yeah she, I, I I love Poppy. Um Okay, man. Yeah, I think that pretty much uh, pretty much wraps up our games for today, guys. There's just one last conversation. It's going to be uh, which of the three action movie categories this film fits into. So in our opinions, there are three action movie categories. They're totally ridiculous movies. Those are movies like Face Off and Con Air and, mm-hmm. and uh, Demolition Man. They're like, really silly. are yeah, there's movies that are uh, totally legitimate. That's going to be like movies like The Fugitive and, like, Lone Survivor and Gladiator. And they're a little more uh, grounded and uh, they hold together. And then there's the middle category, Ridiculously Legitimate, which is, like, The Rock and Point Break and, uh, you know, Predator. Movies that are, like, overall awesome, but they have a couple silly points. But there's something really good about them that hold those movies together and yeah. keep you feeling like you're watching something pretty legit. Um I think it's sort of impossible to not just feel like this movie's totally ridiculous. Yeah, it 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 has to be totally ridiculous because um I we know we had this exact same conversation after the first one I remember. Yeah, um, but this one felt even more ridiculous. Did we end up going totally ridiculous on the first one, or did I end up going in the middle category? Do you remember? You probably went in the middle, is what I feel like. Yeah, I feel like we were both right on the edge, kind of waffling about it. But this one just it does it didn't have anything at any point during the movie that made me feel like. I wasn't supposed to be kind of chuckling, and also yeah. like I think a good I think a good indicator of totally ridiculous is like, can I get up and go to the bathroom and come back and feel like I've missed absolutely nothing? Totally, like I've I I actually downloaded the RunP app finally like yeah. a couple months ago, and I've used it for. All the movies we've covered on the show that are recent, other yeah. than this one, yeah, I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but I yeah. also didn't care that if I did, I'd miss anything. Yeah, yeah, you know? like it's not—it's not really a movie where like if you miss something, it's like an, it's going to really make much of a difference. And it has some really interesting points, like the political conversation that it has. Emily Mortimer's character, where she's talking about she's—I think—I think it's Emily Mortimer. Emily Watson, you mean? Oh, Emily Watson. why, excuse me. Emily Watson and her character, and like. It's everyone. It's kids. It's people like, I work for you 20 hours a day. Yeah. I can't do that without synthetic help. And, like, it's young people that are trying things out, experimenting, people that have been drugged. And it's... There's a lot of really interesting points in it. I agree. But it's still totally ridiculous. Yeah. Like, without a doubt. Yep. I completely agree. All right. And also, like, Poppy's character, like, her whole point of just, like, (laughs) you can sell all this other stuff. You can sell alcohol. You can sell sugar. Like, and I'm a criminal because I sell drugs. And yeah, it's like, and she's, the whole monologue she has about sugar being ten times more addictive than cocaine and killing more people and all that, it's, it's all true. Yeah. 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 Don't do drugs. Don't um, do drugs. Let's, uh, let's get to the final point of the show, guys, and that's going to be uh, the pitch. Yeah, what's up, American motherfucking made? Yeah, <laughs> Woo! I'm so pumped. I've heard such great things. Yeah, it's it's like the exact same thing of, of being so hyped for Kingsman, except for yeah. hearing great things about American Maid. I've heard I had heard reasonably mediocre things. I read one really good review today, uh-huh. um, but it's like Cruise is back and like it, at the very least, at the very least. This is not a stupid remake of the Mummy. This is not a sequel to yeah. Jack Reacher. You know what I mean? This is an original movie it's where he's playing an original character, character, and yes. he's getting to like just. It looks sweet. We know it's a good director. It's got a sweet Southern accent. I'll, I'll I'll rake it up in the morning. Even if this movie is mediocre, it'll be entertaining in a way that like the last few Cruise movies have sucked. Like let's be honest, the last two Cruise movies that hit theaters, right? Yeah, was Never Go Back and the Mummy. Yeah. God those both suck. They were so bad. They were so <laughs> bad and like Cruz was even sweet in America I mean in, uh, in parts of the Reacher, but God, he was just not good in the mummy. And it wasn't his fault, it was the character I think, but like yeah, I'm I'm ready, man. I'm ready. I'm excited. Cruz Lyman, cruise control is back on his control is back. I think he's <laughs> probably going to be doing a bunch of press appointments this week. He's probably going to be like on some tonight shows. He and things might like even that. show up. Please come here <laughs> <laughs> someday, someday. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. As always, find us on Twitter, Ben Bateman Media, Andrew Guy at AMA Podcast. Find the Facebook group. Go join the Action Movie Anatomy fan page, guys. That is the place to start the conversations. Uh, And otherwise, you know, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Have a good one, guys. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.